Hello. Please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. And as you turn there, I just want to give you an idea of where we're going to be looking at in the next three weeks. Um, hinging from Jesus' response, you remember the last three weeks you've been looking at the response to the, the controversy that arose as Jesus healed a man with a demon. And some said He does it by the power of the devil. And others, simply seeking a sign, tested Him and wanted more signs and more signs. And Jesus responded to the first charge. Then He responded to the second charge. And then last week we saw the summary as Jesus explains why it is that despite the fact that He has done so many miracles, so many powerful signs, these people could mistake Him. And it's because of their sight one reason you, you might not see things properly is that there isn't light. If we shut all the lights in this room, close the blinds, you may have a hard time seeing who it is you're talking to. Another reason why you may not see clearly, and that is a problem with your eyes. And Jesus makes it abundantly clear He has not hidden His light. His teaching, His works have been done publicly over years. No, rather, the problem is with their sight. And he says, you can either have a simple or sincere eye in looking at him, or you can have an evil eye, an eye that has an agenda, an eye that wants the answer to be a certain thing. When your eye is evil, when you look at things through that evil eye, you will be filled with darkness. You will not understand the truth, but a lie. He explains that is why this is an evil generation. Now, the Pharisees would not necessarily have had any problem with that. We know from other passages in the New Testament that they viewed the unwashed masses of Israel as accursed, not knowing the law, not like them. So Jesus' denunciation in verse 29 that this generation is evil, the Pharisees may well have said amen. In fact, Luke introduces our text for this week in a very sort of strange way. Look at verse 37. While Jesus was speaking. It's as if he's pronouncing this judgment of sight, and here comes this Pharisee sort of tugging on, hey, hey. And so we shift in location, but Luke is connecting this account with its radical shift and escalation in hostility with what came before. The account itself we'll look at over three weeks, but it has a very simple beginning and an end. In verse 37, while Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him, so he went in, right? Um, and then verse 53, and he went away, or he went out from there. So Jesus goes in, dialogue happens, Jesus goes out. And yet in this account, the Lord, for the first time, clearly develops and exposes and condemns the heart of a Pharisee. The heart of Pharisees in general. It's, it's a challenging passage. In fact, preparation for this message has been some of the most convicting and, and difficult in Luke. Now, even though we're just going to look at verses 37 through 44, I'd like to read the entire account and then pray and then we'll dive in and study. Luke 11, 37 through 54. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. The Lord said to him, 
Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not He who made the outside make the inside also? But give His alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe the mint and the rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, and saying these things, you insult us also. He said, Woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you if you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses and you consent to the deeds of your fathers for they killed them. You build the tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles and some they will kill and persecute so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you lawyers! You take away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves and you hinder those who are entering. As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him, to catch him in something he might say. Remarkable, remarkable encounter. By way of, of looking at the introduction, I just want to make some observations. One, Luke directly connects this scene to Jesus' teaching about light and darkness. Even though it's a different locale and it's a different audience. He introduces it while he was speaking. And so I think we're going to see there is some connection to what just came before. Jesus' teaching about light and darkness and sight and light. Also, this is the fourth of seven banquet scenes. Luke repeatedly will, will bring the camera in and show a dinner and a discussion. Most notably, and I want to highlight the contrast, the last time Jesus was in a Pharisee's house for dinner that we're told of was when he was in Simon's house. Remember that? And he's in Simon's the Pharisee's house and the woman comes in and weeps on his feet and washes it with her hair and there's some controversy. The tone of the exchange is radically different. There, even though the, the Pharisee Simon is wrong and he actually judges Jesus, this man or a prophet, he'd know what sort of woman this is, Jesus speaks to him by name. and He, he rebukes him, but he, he does it gently, talking to him, asking him questions, leading him to the right answer. Who would, who would, who would love him more? You've answered correctly, Simon in dealing with him um, much more gently than what we see here. By contrast, rather than judging Jesus, this Pharisee, we're told, is simply astonished. He doesn't even say anything. I, I would assume the invitation of having Jesus to, to a meal was genuine, partly because nothing in here shows anything other than that, and also partly because when he sees Jesus not wash, he doesn't go, aha, I've got him. He is simply astonished and surprised. And yet Jesus pronounces woe after woe after woe to his host. It's bold. You're in somebody else's house. They've invited you for a meal. They haven't even said anything. 
And yet Jesus unloads both barrels into this Pharisee. And then the lawyer comes up, addressing him respectfully. Teacher, verse 45, in saying these things, you insult us also. And Jesus says, you're right, I'm insulting you also. And he pronounces woes to them. And things have escalated. Things have escalated. And this, this interaction marks a, a striking escalation. In fact, as Jesus leaves here in chapter 12, he begins to publicly to his disciples preach against the Pharisees. Look down at, at verse 1. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples, first, beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now, as we look at this passage, we're going to study principally the four condemnations that Jesus gives against the Pharisees. But as we approach it, I don't want us to approach this about people out there. I want you to understand that the Pharisees are a tragic people. And I think, I'm convinced, the Pharisees as a religious group are the error that we are most likely to slip into. The Pharisees as a sect came about sometime in the intertestamental period, the 400 years between Malachi and John the Baptist. Uh, during that time, Israel began being under control of Babylon. Then we know from Scripture the Medo-Persians, then Assyria, and then Greece. And during the Grecian rule, a wicked Greek leader named Antiochus Epiphanes was the ruler of the region of Israel. And he set up a statue of Zeus in the Holy of Holies, the newly constructed temple, and sacrificed a pig on the altar. Judas Maccabee set up a, a revolution and fought back and through a series of unlikely victories had a time of pushing off the Greeks. And in that milieu, the Pharisees rose up. Um, the Pharisees were, were working class everyday people. They were not necessarily the aristocrats. That would have been the Sadducees. They were uh, about 100 B.C. A long struggle ensued as the Pharisees tried to democratize the Jewish religion and remove it from the control of the temple priests, the Pharisees asserted that God could and should be worshipped every way, uh, even away from the temple, which is why they instituted the synagogues and the towns. Their concern was that the towns, the people would hear the law. They would gather and worship God. And the name Pharisee likely comes from Farash, which is a transliteration of Hebrew, of Hebrew or Aramaic, which means to separate. Probably actually used as a derogatory term to them, which they eventually adopted. They were popular among the people, held in high esteem. These were the guys who saw how God had judged Israel for their idolatry, for their paganism. And they were calling the nation back. This was a populist movement from the grassroots up, calling people back to faithfulness to God, calling the people back to hearing and reading and studying the law. And to a large degree, they were successful. There is no idolatry overtly in Israel in Jesus' day. People are not worshipping the Baals, the Ashtaroths. By and large, the genuine populace knows their Torah. They know the Scriptures. We see that from the interactions with Jesus and other people. Knowing the Bible, the common folk understood it. You can largely thank the Pharisees for that. That was their doing, largely. They were strong into missions. They had a strong missions movement seeking to bring the Gentiles under the wings of the Shekinah into the covenant. Jesus comments on that in Matthew. They were lay teachers. 
They attempted and mostly succeeded to cultivate harmonious relationships with the common people. And again, at this they succeeded. They were held in high esteem by the people. These were the guys who wanted to get prayer back in the schools. The Ten Commandments back in the courthouse. We, we should be sympathetic with them. Very sympathetic. Not that doing that makes you a Pharisee. But understand how much in common we have with them. And it's only a couple of steps before we go off the road into that ditch. These were the conservatives, the literalists. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection, didn't believe in angels, they just believed in religion for here and now. Pharisees, by contrast, believed in a bodily resurrection from the dead. They were inerrantists, believed in the angels, they were looking for the Messiah. They believed in a kingdom that God would bring in. Theologically, a lot of their conclusions were right. But what we see, the danger is that the corruption of the best is always the worst. The corruption of the best is always the worst. The Pharisees had the right God. The Pharisees had the right book, the right Scripture. And in many forms, they had the right forms of worship. And yet, they corrupted, they twisted, they misunderstood that. And that corruption gets the single strongest denunciations from Jesus. Read through your Gospels. Nobody gets it as bad as the Pharisees and the scribes. Nobody. The Romans? Nope. Pagans? Nope. Jesus has words for them. Nobody gets it as bad as the people who are so close, but so far the Pharisees. And so as we study this, we should keep our eyes open. Jesus is going to expose what's going on internally. He's going to expose what's going on in their hearts. He's going to expose their motives. And we would do well to be warned ourselves. As, as I was studying this, I realized in so many ways and at so many times, I myself am a Pharisee. I'm given to Pharisaism. And that's why I want to look at this. Not about those, those bad people out there, but the danger for us in here. Now, the connection, I think, to what comes before is this. Look in verse 38. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. Jesus has just talked about sight and eyes. And here a Pharisee sees something. And he marvels. Not a positive marveling, like the crowds that marveled in verse 14 at the, at the demon being cast down, but rather a marveling that Jesus doesn't follow their customs. A marveling that was a negative evaluation. And so consequently, we can know that if, if that's the conclusion he comes to, Jesus has just told us in the previous paragraph how it is you can see Jesus and come to wrong conclusions. This man sees something. He marvels that Jesus doesn't do it. Therefore, we, I think, can know that he has his eye is evil. His eye is evil. That will be confirmed a little bit later when Jesus says to them that inside they are filled with Greed and wickedness, that word for wickedness, same word group family for this generation being evil, same word group family for the evil eye. This is a man who inwardly is evil. He sees something. He comes up with the wrong conclusion. Jesus has just explained how that takes place in 33-36. And what is it that, that marvels and amazes this Pharisee? It's that Jesus doesn't wash. It's a religious washing. And literally, Jesus was not baptized prior to the meal. 
Now, the Old Testament has examples of washings. The blank here, washings before meals, is described, takes place, a couple of occasions, but it is not prescribed. It's not commanded in the Old Testament. And there are many things that we have that are given as, as patterns. They're not commanded. Hey, for example, prayer before a meal. It's not commanded. We have a pattern. We have an example. It's good. But we might marvel if we invited someone who's reputed to be godly, holy, wise. They didn't pray before a meal. They're not breaking any law of God. Maybe we'd trip up if we invited the guest speaker and he showed up wearing, you know, jeans and a t-shirt. I'm not aware of anywhere in Scripture that commands that teaching has to be done in a suit. I want to have a certain amount of sympathy for the Pharisees. They, they get it blasted. There's something corrupt, evil, and wicked here. But the danger is for us to think that we're not like them or we couldn't easily be like them. I think we can. I think at times we do. So Jesus here now reveals four judgments on them. They're interrelated. And it exposes their motivations. It exposes their hearts. Let's dive in. The first one in verses 39 to 41. Let's read the text. Jesus, the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness, you fools. Do you not know that he who made the outside made the inside also? Give alms as those things that are from within, and behold, everything is clean for you. Here's the first. They focus on externals and ignore internals. They focus on externals and they ignore internals. I mean, that's pretty straightforward, right? They, they clean the outside of the cup, but not the inside. Now, what's the actual charge here? Charge is that they are hypocrites. They are hypocrites. The word hypocrite comes from a compound Greek word, hupo, under, like a hypodermic needle, and krite, mask. To talk from under a mask. And in Greek drama, the, 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 um, thespians would have masks on. And so if you were the angry guy, you'd have the angry mask on. If you were the happy guy, you'd have the happy mask on. And the point is that underneath that mask, your actual countenance, who and what you are, could be radically different than what is presented on the mask. And so the term came to mean one who appears to be one thing, it inwardly is something else. That's hypocrisy. And that's the charge. You guys have really nice, sh shiny, clean, outside of cups. Every now and once and again, my, my dishwasher will fail to clean something. And inevitably, the outside looks clean. My kids will put the dishes away and I'll pull out a bowl. It looks clean on the outside. And on the inside, there's just caked on filth. Anyone ever have that happen? Or, or worse yet, here's this, this I'll, I'll confess this much. You ever have these sort of like, um, who can put up with the longest wars about dirty things on the counter? We'll take something out of the, the fridge that's been in there for like four months as a Tupperware. It'll be on the counter. I ain't going to open that thing. <laughs> and so I'll do the dishes and I'll just sort of pass over it. And Serena will come by and well, lo and behold, she passes. It's sort of like, how long can this thing stay on the counter? Because why? When, when, when the inside of the dish is dirty, it gets foul and disgusting. And yet outwardly, it looks clean. This, this man is caught up with a ceremonial cleansing wash. Not a bad thing. Don't, don't, please don't think, oh, if you wash before a meal, you're, you're a hypocrite. No. It's the focus on the externals at the expense of the internals that is the problem. These, these Pharisees have all these washings. 
and rituals, and, and not all of them are bad. It's what they neglect. Inwardly, they are filled with greed and wickedness. And greed and wickedness. That's what's on the inside. A little later in Luke, we'll get there in a few years, Luke 20. Um, you laugh, but... Luke 20, 46-47, Beware of the scribes who lie... Li- Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplace and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses for pretense make long prayers. There's a fair amount of money to be made in the religious game. They liked that. They had greed on the inside. They had wickedness on the inside. They're filled with wickedness and greed. And then Jesus calls them fools. Why? They're fools. Because did not he who made the outside make the inside also? What's the point? God made you. And yes, God cares about your external cleanliness. The Levitical law had washings and ceremonies. But the same God who made you also made the inside of you. And the same scriptures that talk about external washings also talk about internal cleansing. Which is to say, God made and cares about both. God made and cares about both. The Pharisees had convinced themselves that all that really mattered was the external performance. Now this is the danger for us, right? Externals are not bad. Someone who's focused on an external is not necessarily a Pharisee. It's the combo of focusing on the externals and ignoring the internals. And here's, I think, what that might look like for us. A growing preoccupation concern with how we're perceived. A friend of mine, his wife, um, saw this up close. Going to church was a big deal. And the family had to act like a unit at church. No matter how much quarreling, conflict was going on in the home. At church, she was taught, you, you put on a face, you acted like a unit. One of the worst things you could do is to bring shame or let any, there be any indication that things weren't all perfectly hunky-dory at home when they were at church. You don't ask questions indicating you don't know things. You just, you just keep, keep the front up. And what she quickly learned was, Religion was fundamentally about putting up a show and an appearance. The home was, was, a, was a car crash. There was not remotely the same zeal to fix that. There's almost an acceptance of that. But where the zeal and the effort and the time and the energy went was, was how things look, the externals. That, that's, I think, how we can start slipping into Pharisees. And that's not to say that if you've got conflict at home, get in a fight in the foyer. I'm not saying that at all. It's the doing of the one and neglecting the other. That's the problem. Okay? That's the problem. And you can see how quickly you can start to slip into that. Where more and more and more of the focus and the attention is the externals. What are people going to see? What are people going to think? What are people going to judge? And more and more ignoring the internals. This is one of the reasons why I think fellowship and being in each other's homes is such a big deal. Because you and I both know that if we're in people's homes, we're eventually going to get to see the real deal. People who are in my home will over time see how I treat my kids, see how I treat my wife. It's easy to put up a front for small periods, carefully planned in advance. And I'd encourage you that the body life or members of each other helps to guard against this. 
where people get to see what's really going on. If you find in yourself a tremendous desire to guard your home, your private life, that might be a sign that this, this, this is going on in your life. I know it can happen in my life. Focus on the externals. Now here, Jesus, for all of his judgment and condemnation, prescribes a remedy. There's still hope here for the Pharisees. It's not just condemnation. Don't miss that. It's not just condemnation. Verse 41, But give his alms those things that are within. Behold, everything is clean for you. Now this is a challenging text to translate and different translations take it different ways, but I think the idea is basically this. He's identified that their heart motives are greed and wickedness. So what's the remedy? From within. Not doing it purely for show. Not doing it so others can see. You know, they'd sound to the gong. Everyone, pay attention. The righteous Pharisee is about to give a copper coin to a poor person. Everyone clap. But rather, to give his alms genuinely from the heart. There needs to be an internal change. And then Jesus makes this declaration that if, if your inside can change, if your heart can change, that will spread itself out to the whole person, the whole cup. Or to change the analogy, if the root structure of the tree can change, the fruit that it bears will ultimately change. Jesus is focusing. If you, if you have to choose one or the other, the externals or the internals, choose the internals. Deal with the inside of the cup. Deal with the inside of the cup. Give generously from the heart. So they, they focus on externals and ignore internals. Secondly, in verse 42, we learn that they focus on minors and ignore majors. They focus on minors and ignore majors. What I mean is they focus and they have a great attention to minutia and detail and yet ignore, literally pass over in the Greek, the weightiest, heaviest things in the law verse 42, and here comes the first woe, pronouncement of judgment. I mean, Jesus is damning, judging them. Woe to you, Pharisees. Why? You tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting others. So in the first charge, Jesus exposes their hypocrisy. You, you go to great lengths to look like you're clean. You want to look like one thing, and inside, you're something else. Here, Jesus identifies that they're legalists. Jesus identifies that they are legalists. Now, this is an important term for us to define. The temptation for us to think from this, and I think the overreaction we can get from this, is to think anytime anyone has an attention to detail, they're a legalist. I want you to notice something. Jesus does not say they shouldn't have been tithing the mint, dill, and cumin. In fact, he says this you should have done, not neglecting the others. Again, what we're dealing with is not that there's a problem with attention to detail. That can be done in a righteous, godly way. It's this attention to minutia while ignoring the central things. Just as there's nothing wrong with having a clean outer cup, it's only a problem when you're focused entirely on that and you ignore the inside of the cup. Specifically, here's the deal. They think their attention to external details removes their need to internally love God and their neighbor. Turn back to chapter 10. We've got our first clue of this in the lawyer who questioned Jesus. Who is my neighbor? What is the great commandment? And and as we looked at that in, in chapter 10, we saw 
this man asks a good question. Verse 25, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Now stop. He's 100% accurate. And you've got two choices when you face something like this. Something that is not easily and directly measurable. Something that is internal and has to do with the heart, the affections, the will, the desire. You can recognize the enormity of what God calls for. Or you can say, well, as long as I'm doing these things, I'm fine. And so this, this man had, had made a checklist of who his neighbor was to something he could keep. We, we get another insight and clue to this a little later in Luke's Gospel when Jesus tells the story in Luke 18. A Pharisee was standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. The tax collector standing afar off would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. What we see from the Pharisees is that they thought that by their keeping of these things, in particular the minutiae, they were, they were good. They were just. That's legalism. Legalism is believing that by what you do, your observance, and in general it's very fastidious on the minutiae observance, you are just before God. And the Pharisees thought by doing these things, and you get the attention to detail. You're supposed to tithe and give up your first fruit. So, so picture next time you go to the store when you pick up some mint, you've got to, you've got to weigh out a tenth of that, right? Instead of the side. You've got your little packet of your tenth of your mint. Your tenth of your, now that's fastidious attention to the law. Good for them. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with fastidious attention to the law. In fact, in other places, God makes it very clear. He means what he says and he intends his people to obey by faith. The problem is that fastidious attention is, is, is what condemns them for their missing over of the big and great things. They don't love justice and they don't love God. Which is to say they don't love their neighbor. I don't, I don't care if my neighbor is oppressed. I don't care if my neighbor is mistreated. I don't care if my neighbor is suffering injustice. I tithe my mint. I'm all set. I don't care what needs are around me. And you know, even though my heart doesn't have a love for God, it's okay, because I keep the rules. And I do the things. And I go to church. That's the danger. God cares about the inside. He cares about our hearts. And if you're aware of that, that's a challenging thing. Because day by day, my heart is cold and hot and lukewarm and cold and it shifts. It takes a lot of work to maintain a heart passionate for the Lord. It is a whole lot easier to do the checklist. A whole lot easier. Jesus says they ought to have done both. Turning your Bibles to Psalm 51, David, I think, gives us a very helpful demonstration of the relationship between these things. Because, like I said, there are two dangers. One is the danger of Pharisaism, but the other danger that I encounter nearly as much is, okay, we don't want to be Pharisees, so anything that remotely sounds like rules or law, that's, that's bad, so we just, just 
follow Jesus in your heart and love God in your heart and do what you want. The problem with that is, what is tied up in the Great Commission? To teach all nations to observe all the things that Jesus commanded. If we're not calling on all men from all nations to obey Jesus' commandments, we are not engaged in the Great Commission. Get that. Great Commission. You're to go into all the world making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to keep or observe all my commandments. So the, the solution, if, we, if there's a danger of Phariseeism, the solution can't be, well, we'll just do away with commandments. But David in Psalm 51, I think, helps us get an understanding. Remember, David has just killed a man, stolen his wife, covered it up, lied about it, confronted by God's prophet, he repents, and then he publicly repents further and confesses. I mean, notice, the king of Israel, in the psalm title, admits to his crime. A psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he'd gone into Bathsheba, and he cries out for forgiveness, and he cries out for God to give him a new heart, and he cries out for God's cleansing. And then, I want to pick it up in verse 16. Oh, 14. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation. Which is to say, deliver me from the sin of murder. I've got another man's blood on my hands. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifices, or else I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Here's David, a man with the law of Moses, and he recognizes that when his inward self, the inside of his cup is filthy, there is no ritual that he can go participate in that will cleanse him. There is no sacrifice he can offer. There is no washing that he can take that will clean his insides. What he needs is a new heart. What he needs is a broken spirit and a contrite heart. And, and that's amen. But then he doesn't, it's not as though David says, well, because of that, fooey with the law. Because you keep reading and he says this, verse 18, do good to Zion and your good pleasure build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices and in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Here's what David's saying. When I'm inwardly corrupt, there, there's no ritual. There's no washing. There's no cleansing. There's no communion. There's no baptism. It's going to do a thing about that. That's not what I need. I need my heart circumcised. I need my heart cleansed by God. I need my spirit to be broken and contrite. That's how I get right with God. Coming to Him in, in repentant faith. And then, having dealt with my heart, then, David says, I will go and do the things of the law of Moses. Then I'll offer the sacrifices the law says to offer. That's, that's the key. We don't obey God. There's no amount of obedience. There's no things you can do to get right with God. But it's not as though because it's a matter of the heart, it doesn't matter what we do. David makes it clear, once I get my heart right, then I'm going to do the things you said to do. The Pharisees skipped over that. We're just going to do the things you said to do, and then we're okay, right? No. No. They ought to have done both. Third, they love public praise and honor. 
They love public praise and honor. Verse 43, Woe to you Pharisees! For you love the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Literally the front seats in the synagogues. I notice, Adam, you're very close to the front. Well, actually, in our culture, it's the back seats that are really the, the favorite ones, right? There's no one's in the front row. And actually, actually, the front seats are likely the ones facing the people, the positions of honor. Maybe you've seen churches where they've got the row of seats and everyone you know, sort of sits. They, they want the positions of honor, and it's religious honor particularly. And this is another danger. And as someone who gets up and has a spotlight on him, this is a particular danger for me. It be a danger for us. You can grow to love religious honor, religious praise. What's Jesus' charge? They are proud. Pride. They're hypocrites. They're legalists. They're proud. Luke 16:15, he says, You are those who justify yourselves before men. But God knows your heart. What is exalted above men is an abomination in the sight of God. The Scriptures call on us. Jesus calls on His disciples. Don't give a hoot what people think about you. They may curse you. They may call you names. They may spit on you. What matters is, is your Father pleased with you? The Pharisees flipped that around. They care about what people think and didn't care about what God thought. Point B, they seek the praise of men rather than God. They seek the praise of men rather than God. Now, Jesus has warned of that. Remember back in the Sermon on the Plain, He introduced it with the blessings and the woes. And He said, Blessed are you, verse 22 of chapter 6, Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Correspondingly, woe to you, verse 26 of chapter 6, woe to you when all people speak well of you. For so their fathers did to the false prophets. Woe to you when they give you the seat of honor in the synagogue. Woe to you when they give you the great greetings in the marketplace. These people sought the glory of man, the praise of man, religious honor. And Jesus makes it clear in John 5.44 that you can't love both. Listen to this. Jesus rebuking the Jews of His day in John 5.44. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another? Do not seek the glory comes from only God. What's the implication? You can't. Which is to say, if you care more about what the person sitting next to you thinks of you than what God in heaven thinks of you, you can't have faith. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from only God? Again, this is a danger because I care what you guys think. And when I get compliments on how a sermon went, I get encouraged and my heart is, is deceitful and fickle. These are traps that all of us can fall into. I mean, think about it. How much does it matter to you what other people think of you spiritually? How much would it bother you if someone thought you were immature spiritually? How much do you pride yourself in your maturity and your discernment? People will tell me that I've got discernment. That's not necessarily a bad thing. It might be a red flag warning sign. The danger here is I care what people think of me and my spiritual elevation. And I crave and love the honor and the praise. Jesus rebukes them. Woe. Woe to us when we love that. Right? Woe to us 
And finally, and most dramatically, ironically, Jesus pronounces His final words. Verse 44, Woe to you! You are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. Jesus has now come full circle. If you remember, this controversy began because His host was astonished seeing that Jesus did not go through a ceremonial washing prior to eating. Why? The logic is this. The Pharisees, who their main means to separate, the Pharisees understood that as you walked about in the day doing your business, you were going to bump elbows with all sorts of people. And if you read the Levitical law, uncleanness is contagious. So that if you are unclean and you touch somebody else, they become unclean. We looked at that when we saw the leper, right? Well, one of the things that makes someone unclean is a dead body. So the Pharisees, their logic is this. You never know who you've bumped into, who you've rubbed up against. So before you eat, you better wash yourself ceremonially from the crowd, from the people. Their concern was that they might be contaminated by the people. That's their concern. And they're amazed that Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus tells them, you guys have it upside down. You want to keep yourself uncontaminated from the people, he says to them, that they themselves are the contaminant. What's the charge? They are insidious. I'm going to thank Pastor Daniel for that word. I was looking for a word. They are insidious. Now listen to the definition of insidious. Operating or proceeding in an inconspicuous and seemingly harmless way, but actually with grave effect. Pretty good word. Fits. This is the great irony. They are so concerned with keeping themselves untainted, uncontaminated by the people. And Jesus says, actually, you're the contaminant. The Jews of Jesus' day would mark graves lest they touch one. If touch, touching a dead body made you not just unclean for a day, it took an entire week to remove the uncleanness. And so, they would mark graves so people could avoid them. And so what Jesus is basically saying is this. You're an unmarked grave, and people walk over you unknowing. And what happens as they walk over you? They get contaminated. This is an astounding charge. What he's saying is basically this. Not only do your motives and your hearts and your desires damn you, but you spread it to other people. And they don't even know. Because you're an unmarked grave. In Matthew 23.15, Jesus says this. Remember I told you the Pharisees, big on missions. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourself. Certainly not what they thought they were doing. Here's, here's the point for us, for me. These attitudes in our hearts are important. Get, get, get the level of condemnation that Jesus brings. In Luke's Gospel up to this point, nothing has been spoken of with this intensity, this level of judgment. Woe! Woe! Woe to you! 
And yet, if you're being honest, I certainly recognize that my heart goes there at times. I, I do these things sometimes. It's a big deal. And the final point of why it's a big deal is it's not just woe to you, but it's woe to you and all the other people you interact with. All the other people I interact with. To the degree that I am a Pharisee. To the degree that I'm focusing on externals. To the degree that I'm majoring on the minors. To the degree that I'm loving praise. I am spreading that out to you all. This is why James says not many should be teachers. They're going to suffer a stricter judgment. It's contagious. We've seen it being contagious because what started with the rejection of the Pharisees and the scribes and the lawyers has now spread as of Luke 11.16 to the people. And as Jesus rebukes the lawyer, He starts rebuking the generation. They're inseparable. The, the, the logic, the values, the approach of the Pharisees and the lawyers is the logic, values, and approach of the people. And so it matters. Now, it is good for us to be zealous about God's Word. It is good for us to be zealous, not just in majors, but in particulars. And it is good for us to clean the outside of the cup as long as we're cleaning the inside of the cup. It is good for us to do these things. But understand, this is the trap that we will fall into if we're not careful. We're not likely to fall into the trap of liberalism. We're not likely to fall into the trap of other things that other denominations and other other groups might fall into, but I think this is our trap, and we got to be wary of this because there is no greater condemnation. The corruption of the best is the worst, and it spreads. It spreads like leaven. Like leaven. If you find yourself convicted by this in Jesus' words, just remember the one call to response clean the inside, give from the heart genuinely, and then everything else becomes clean. As David said it, come to God with a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Don't just focus on the externals. Confess to Him what He already knows because He made you. He knows what's inside you. Go to Him and deal with that. He's given His Son so that He can cleanse us head to toe from the inside out. We need to look to Him in faith to do that. For our sake, for the sake of those we come in contact with. Now next week, this blast continues. And we're going to look more and more at the heart of legalism, Phariseeism. Not primarily so that we can judge those Pharisees and legalists out there, but so that we can be on our guard against Pharisees legalists in here and there. Let's close in prayer. Lord God, what a tragic, tragic fate these Pharisees receive. They're so zealous for Your Word. So zealous for Your precepts and Your law and their nation and their people. And yet so, so far from the heart that You desire. And so Lord, Lord, we learn that a person can love Your Word, memorize Your Word, be fastidious to keep Your Word, and yet receive the greatest condemnation of anyone in Scripture. Guard us from that fate, Lord. Guard us and our hearts from becoming more and more consumed with the external, with performance, and what people think of us than our own hearts. 
Lord, guard us from the error of passing over the major things only to become fixated with the minor things. Lord, guard us from the love of the praise of other people. Let us not infect with our sin those around us. Oh Lord, you have promised that if we'll come to you, you will cleanse us. You have, you have called us freely to come in our nakedness and our blindness and our sickness and and to be clothed and receive gold and eye salve and healing. Oh Lord God, bring us back again and again and again and again to your mercy seat for grace. We might be cleansed. We might be conformed to the image of your Son. We might not pervert and corrupt your faith. But we might accurately speak the truth in love, live the truth in love, both the outside and inside clean both the small things and the big things being done in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you. Give you peace. You are dismissed.